Urinary tract infections. Have you had that burning urge to pee? Had to make trips to the doctor and then antibiotics again and again? Now imagine you can make the UTIs all stop. Utiva is a brand specialized in natural UTI prevention with science and doctor-backed products. Utiva's Urinary Tract Health Supplement is a unique cranberry extract with nine times more PACs, the active molecules that typically don't exist in most cranberry products, a once-a-day pill for your daily protection. Utiva also provides D-mannose, probiotics, UTI home-based test strips, and cleansing wipes. Join over 25,000 happy customers and start your UTI-free life. Learn more at UtivaHealth.com. That's U-T-I-V-A-Health.com and get 25% off your first order. Hi, I'm Andrea Donsky, founder of NaturallySavvy.com and co-host of our Naturally Savvy podcast. And I am Lisa Davis, MPH health educator, co-host of Naturally Savvy and author of the book, Cleaning and Dirty Sex Memoir Cookbook Healthy Lifestyle Guide. At Naturally Savvy, we are here to help you make healthier lifestyle choices. So we are so honored that you are tuning in to listen to our podcast on a weekly basis. And we are here to engage you, have fun, and help you live your healthiest lifestyle. Now... On to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy. If you listen to the show before, you know I was a late bloomer. I got my period a month and a half uh, before I turned uh, 16. I thought I was a freak. I thought I would never get it. Uh, my mother had said, well, I won't take you to the doctor until you're 16. And actually, no, wait, that's not true. She did. I just remember she did take me to the doctor when I was 15. And they said, the doctor said, some some girls are later, some girls are earlier. But I really struggled with that. Uh, you know, I just was a late bloomer in, in many different ways. And puberty can be challenging. I also know girls who started puberty early you know, getting their periods at nine, and that's difficult too. So there's so much to navigate. So I am thrilled to have the wonderful Dr. Kara Natterson on the program. She is a renowned pediatrician, New York Times bestselling author, and the co-founder of the new puberty brand, Umla. Uh, I hope that I said that right. And I'm so glad to have you on. This is so exciting. Hello, Dr. Natterson. Hello, you can call me Kara. And it's really nice to meet you, Lisa. And um, thank you for having me. Yes, Umla. You said it right. Umla. Now, how did you come up with the name? Umla stands for Order of Magnitude Los Angeles. And um, that's because during puberty, everyone grows by an order of magnitude. It's whatever's right for them. And Los Angeles is where I live. It's where we founded the company and it's where we make all of our products. Oh, that's great. Now, when did you first know that you wanted to be a pediatrician? My mom would tell you, I was about two, I would tell you, I wasn't sure in the middle of residency training, I wasn't sure. Um, (laughs) You know, I I think the path to being a doctor was um, a very non-traditional one for me. I just went one year at a time and I loved what I was studying. So I kept going down the road. Um, When I met kids on the pediatric ward in the hospital. It was a no-brainer. They were the best patients in the hospital, no question. Um, And then the gift of seeing them both in the hospital and out of the hospital, you know, has been an incredible thing. But, um, But I've done lots of not typical things with my medical degree. And so um, I stand by my story that I still don't know if I want to be a doctor. Well, talk to us about some of these things. I mean, in addition to Umla, 
Yeah. So, um, I was in practice for, uh, a bunch of years, uh, when one of my partners in my group is a large pediatric group in Santa Monica, California. One of my partners asked me to read a manuscript of a book he had written. Um, and he asked me just to take a look and see what I thought. Um, and quite frankly, I was like, Oh, you can write a book in medicine. Okay. I should think about doing that. I was very young. And so I started writing. Um, just, uh, just about two or three years into practice. And, um, I had my kids, uh, what I would do is I would write a little bit. Um, and then during my maternity leave, I would edit the manuscript and kind of get it turned around. And then I'd go back from my maternity leave and go back to regular practice. And I kind of had this side writing career. Um, in 2008, I decided to step away from clinical medicine mostly because I did not know my kids. I was outsourcing all of their care and it felt a little too ironic to me is the short version. And I couldn't find balance. So I decided I would just take a pause and become a writer. And that's what I did. I got really lucky. Um, I wrote a bunch of parenting books and, um, and then I stumbled into a gig with American Girl the doll manufacturer. Um, And I got the opportunity to update their cult classic puberty book called The Care and Keeping of You. And I- Oh, we have that. That's great. And then I blew out the series and we have five books in the series, including two books aimed at boys. So that's what I did before Umla. I'd love that. So when did the interest in puberty first happen for you? You're like, okay, I want to write about this. Yeah, you know, I mean- it. Obviously, when you're a pediatrician, um, there's got to be some interest in that to begin with. And uh, frankly, for today's generation of tweens and teens, puberty is starting so much earlier and lasting so much longer. It's not going more quickly. It's going actually more slowly. So um, the average girl enters puberty between eight and nine, uh, not all, but the average, and the wow. average boy between nine and 10, which means that if it lasts as long as it used to, and the end point is about the same, puberty is about a decade of life, a little bit less than a decade of life. And if you're a pediatrician taking care of kids in the first two decades of life, that's 50% of the game. So um, that was where my interest started. Uh, I will say that with uh, the American Girl books in particular, my very first day of work, my partners pulled me aside and they said, okay, three things you never learned in your residency training that you need to know. And it was how to treat lice, how to treat pink eye, and how to tell parents about the care and keeping of you. Because at that point, it had become this already instant classic. And every parent in my practice would ask me when their kids were done reading that book, what else is there? And so, Uh, that was sort of an organic interest for me is why don't they have more and why don't they go deeper and why don't they get rid of the gender barriers? Because the book really, I mean, truly is not about girls. The book is about puberty and transformation and they're about 20 pages about girl body parts, but everything else is about just growing up. And so that the sort of collision of those interests came together and, and here we are. You know, I'd love to uh, talk at some point about decoding boys, new science behind the subtle art of raising sons. Just while you're here, tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to read that and have you back. Oh, sure. So um, when I went to American Girl, um, the very first day I was there interviewing to to take over this book series. And um, 
And I started pitching a boy series and they thought I was insane. They're like, uh, you're an American girl and this is kind of a dream <laughs> job. And I said, I know, but this is a non-gendered issue and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I lose that battle for five years, but eventually we won, which was great. And I have a wonderful editor there who was on the road with me. Um, and then we published a book called Guy Stuff, which is the care and keeping of you for boys. Um, and really, um, again, no gender to any of this. As I'm on the road promoting all these books, I get into conversations with both parents and their children about the experience of raising boys versus girls. Those conversations started before Guy Stuff came out, but they certainly amplified once it did. And it became very obvious to me that parents wanted a book for themselves to understand how to raise their sons. And my son at the time was heading into puberty. And so, you know, whenever you have something happening in your own house, you, mm -hmm. your interest is peaked. And my son had gone silent. And I thought, there has got to be science around this. And it turns out there is some, but there's not a ton. Um, and there's a lot of common experience among parents raising boys, but it's not talked about in the same way that raising a girl is talked about which is insane. And so I just wanted to start the conversation and look at the data and begin to understand why do biological males typically get quiet when they go into puberty and how can we talk to them and why is it important? And that's what Decoding Boys is. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is so important, especially nowadays. I mean, I just worry that kids are exposed to so much more. I was listening to a show yesterday and this woman called in and said her 12-year-old son was on you porn. And it's like the things that they're going to see and exposed to are horrific. You know, it's, it's, it's just awful. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to my son. And these aren't real images. And this is very degrading, some of it. And, you know, I mean, that's it in a nutshell is that right. neither the parent nor the child really knows how to talk when it's conversation directed at one entire gender. That's bananas. And I think what we take for granted a little bit is that it's taken a couple of decades, but the needle used to be there with girls too, and we've moved it slowly and surely. So now talk about periods and talk about female empowerment and talk about boobs. That's all normal. We would not be having this conversation 20 years ago, right? Not in right. this way. So we have given all that language to an entire gender and Shame on us for not recognizing we have to give that language to the other gender and to ourselves. And so, um, you know, I, I have a husband in my house who was silent as a teenager, who while I was writing Decoding Boys kept saying, I don't get it. I turned out fine. I'm expressive. <laughs> I can talk to you. What's the issue? And I think the issue is, and now he's a convert. The oh, world cool. is different. There's porn online. There are all sorts of pieces of information and content that are coming at your kids, no matter what their gender. And we have to talk to our children. We have to. So if this was 1970, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. Maybe we wouldn't have to have this conversation in the same way. I'm really glad that we are where we are. I was a kid in the 70s. So 1978 or 79 or so was, you know, we watched the movie on periods and other things, but not much. I mean, it was just like, but you, you'll get some hair and some boobs. And, you know, I'm like, where are my boobs? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm 16. When are they coming? You know, they finally came at 17. Thank God. <laughs> my brothers used to say, you're so flat. The walls are jealous. I'm like, really? Oh, God. Really? <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think that whole awkward feeling of if you're too early, if you're too late, you know, I am always envied the girls that were like 13. There they are. They got their boobs. They got, you know, their shape or they have, you know, whatever it is, that confidence that either you, I still felt like I look like a teenage boy forever, or you're like in fourth grade and you look like you're, you know, 25. It, it's very difficult. You know, it's funny. I, I like you, was a late bloomer. Um, my college roommate was a super early bloomer. And we used to sit around the dining hall in college and talk about the fact that it's terrible to be the earliest. It's terrible to be the latest. And then my third college roommate would pipe in and it's terrible to be in between. <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing about puberty feels easy. It's such a grass is always greener situation. And that's really what my career has turned into is a quest to make puberty more comfortable, literally to make it more comfortable, to give people information and conversation and a forum to talk about how it doesn't have to be all bad. It's a, it's a process. It's a really slow process. It looks and feels different for everybody in every body. And okay, so I could see how that feels bad. And I remember how that felt bad. But why don't we flip that? Why don't we recognize that it doesn't have to feel scary and negative? And, and I will say the, the big asterisk for people who have kids in somewhere along this path, living in their home, or they have kids in, in this age range who they love and care about and want to support. Um, it's really hard to say to someone whose body is developing and whose brain is developing, hey, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Because you're saying that to someone who has no idea what they're going to look like and what they're going to feel like. And so it's actually not an honest statement. And it's not a fair statement. And if we take that statement out, and instead of telling them everything's going to be okay, we actually tell them what we know. Hey, here's what's going to come next. Hey, your boobs are going to grow. They are going to grow one day. And one day they're going to be lumpy and it might feel scary because you might think there's a breast cancer in there, but that's really uncommon. So tell me when it happens and I will talk you off that ledge. That is more helpful than it's all going to be fine because it's not fair to tell a kid who's 12 right. or eight or 18, oh, I know exactly what your path is and it's going to be fine, right? Oh, absolutely. God, I, I love your energy. I love what you're saying. I mean, I've been so honest with my daughter about everything from masturbation to, you know, birth control issues that we're starting to go down that road now. And it's just, I think the more we can talk with our kids, I think it's so incredibly important. And, you know, she keeps asking me like, okay, I, I got, she got her period at 15 and a half. She's 17 now. She's like, it's still irregular. Is that normal? And I'm like, I think it's fine, but I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research because I don't know. I'm not going to be like, oh, everything's fine. I said, I don't know. Now I have this wonderful pediatrician on the phone <laughs> on the show. Hello, Dr. Nash. Or hello. <laughs> hello. Well, so I will tell you because people have this question all the time. You're yes. not the only one. Um, so your best resource is always your doctor. So whether that's okay. a pediatrician, a family practice doctor, if you're starting to see a GYN. But um, I would say that the vast majority of girls do not have regular periods for the first year or two. It's really, really, really common oh, because the okay. hormones are still shifting and changing. Uh, that said, there are some, and actually, I don't know why, but it tends to be the girls who get their periods youngest, who you can set a clock by that period. From day one, it's like day 28 or whatever it is. Uh, but for, for most 
people who get periods. Um, they, they are irregular. And here's a nice little nugget. You're really not done growing until your period has been regular for two years, which is why I hit my head on the shower in college because <laughs> I was like your daughter and I, I didn't finish growing. And so people have a lot of uh, fixation on when is my growth completed. And it's really when your hormones have settled out and your growth plates have closed in response to that. And so um, who knows how tall your daughter's going to be, but maybe taller than she is now. See, she will be thrilled to hear that because I'm 5'10", my husband's six foot, my brother's six four, my dad's six two. There's a lot of tall people and she's five five and a half. And she's like, what the, you know, I, how am I five five and a half? So I was like, you never you know. Go. You never know. The other thing I want to mention too is that, you know, she was, we were hoping that hormonal birth control would help with the regular of the periods. For her, it was an absolute nightmare. We lasted 16 days. I'm taught crying, falling to the floor, screaming depression, anxiety. It was a nightmare. For some girls, it's a godsend. And for others, it's really not. Um, what, what I usually remind people is that hormones don't just circulate below the neck, right? They go up in the brain and they create a chemical stew in the brain that really impacts the way you feel and the way you respond. And it's what we call moodiness, which has a negative connotation, but it shouldn't necessarily have a negative connotation, right? So the power of a hormone surge can be really profound. And maybe that's what you saw in your home. Um, now there, there's a way to think about, um, using hormones to regulate periods that will reassure some people for whom it's worked. And that is, um, the body is used to these surges and drops and surges and drops in hormone. That's actually how it's designed to work. When you use, um, birth control pills for the hormone in order to regulate your hormone. You just have a steady state. You don't have a surge up and a surge down. So what that means is it takes the ups and downs out of the equation for a lot of the people who are on it. But when you first go on it, maybe that steady state is so much higher than what your body's used to that in your brain, the impact doesn't feel good. And so it's going to be different for each person who goes on hormones, but they are powerful drugs. Let you not, do not forget how powerful estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and all of those hormones are. And we know, right? We felt it for our whole life, but they're really, really powerful natural drugs. Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphous for Menopause. Well, let's jump into Umla. Again, this is uh, the first and only company focused on making puberty comfortable physically and emotionally. All right, let's talk about the physical side and then we can jump into the emotions. I and mean, we've covered some already. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about why Umla. Um, so breast development is one of the very first physical symptoms or signs that you see on a girl who's going through puberty. Um, when girls enter puberty, they often get moody and they get these things called breast buds. When boys enter puberty, their testicles and their penis grows, but no one really notices because that's all covered up for the couple of years that that's all that's happening, right? So girls are in obvious puberty, boys are in this silent puberty, which is very interesting and kind of sets up the dynamic that we were talking about. Most girls do not want people looking at their breasts all the time. What they will say to me over and over again is, I have no shame that I have boobs. I just have no interest in people's eyeballs being there. And that is right, right? Hallelujah to those girls who say, it's it's great, it's part of my body, but I just don't want 
someone noticing. For whatever reason, these breast buds, which are little bumps about the size of like a stack of four or five dimes right under the nipples, for some reason, they are so prominent. They seem to stick out of everything. And girls feel very self-conscious. Sometimes you get one way before the other. That feels weird. Sometimes you get two, and then you don't want the whole world seeing. They are exquisitely tender. If someone were to elbow you in the breast bud, it can make you double over in pain. And even a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a sweater rubbing against that skin can feel really sensitive. So when my own daughter was in the fourth grade, I was a late bloomer. She was an early bloomer, very different experiences. And uh, when she was in the fourth grade, I got a call from a mother in our class. I didn't know her and I did not know her daughter. She called me and she said, hey, you do these puberty books. Uh, Where do you buy your daughter bras? And I said, I don't because they're all horrible. None of them work. They're either single ply or they have these awkward pads and they're just, they're awful. And this mom, who I did not know, said to me, well, first of all, your daughter needs a bra. And second of all, my mother is a sewer and she has sewed one because I have had the same experience. And she said, can I just bring it to you? Can you just take a look at it and tell me if it's healthy? It's a very interesting question to be asked. Yeah, So Julie and her daughter show up on my doorstep and we have a little play date for the girls. Uh, One bra, two fourth graders. And at the end of an hour, they decide they have to be best friends because one bra, two fourth graders. They've never (laughs) worn anything so comfortable. And that was the beginning of Umla. So Julie and I both have full-time jobs and we spent several years creating, iterating, and patenting this bra. And um, and finally, once our girls were fully developed, and it's great that it worked out this way because we sized up with them. Um, but once they were fully developed, we launched the brand. And um, we have a patented bra that what it does is it hugs you without compressing you. So most young girls go towards a sports bra so that they have everything mashed down and nothing hurts and nothing is oversensitized. And that I, I, I can't claim a health claim because we haven't done the studies, but I can just tell you breast tissue growing against really tight resistance cannot be good for breast tissue. And breast tissue gr- growing through almost no resistance feels like a much more natural state and it's got to be better. So I'm not making the claim, but I'm kind of making the claim, right? And so we created this bra that is, when I tell you, it is literally so comfortable. One of my interns last week called me and she said, I just walked into the shower with my Umbra on because I forgot (laughs) I was wearing it. It is like that. And it does the work that you need it to do, but it's super soft. It's made with super soft cotton. It's reversible. We have lots of different shades of nude on one side for lots of different shades of girl. We have really cute, like legit cute prints on the other side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's great. And then, and now we're starting to do collaborations. We just launched one this week with a charity called Mothers to Mothers, uh, which is an African-based charity that is the biggest HIV educator in all of Africa and the biggest employer of HIV positive women. And they are celebrating their 20th anniversary and we've got a bra that honors them and what they're doing. So it just, that's the apparel side. It's, um, it's to make 
puberty physically more comfortable. And um, we will go into other lines, including products that are more boy oriented, but this is a bra for anyone who wants to wear a bra and it fits um, all sizes. We do a, a unique measurement. So you just take a little um, tape measure, or if you don't have one, even your phone cord, charging cord, and you wrap it around your nipple line and the number of inches is your size. And we can size down to about a seven or eight year old because we need to be at the front end of puberty all the way up to a traditional bra size 34D or 36B. So we, we're not all the way up there, but we are starting to expand our size line, which is great. Um, on the content side information, and you, you are a, a sex educator by training, so you know this, um, having information makes you comfortable. I mean, period, full stop. So we have the first searchable online portal for um, content about puberty that is written by and for tweens and teens. Um, and we are just rolling it out. So it will be populated with much more content over time, but really it's, it's information that if you're 20, you say, I wish someone had told me this five or 10 years ago. That's what we've got up there. And my favorite section, I will say, um, we have something called real stories, real stories from middle school and real stories from high school and college. They are real stories that are submitted to us by kids in our community sharing whatever their puberty related experiences so that other people don't feel alone. And that to me, if I had had that, oh my God, it would be amazing. So that's our kid-facing content. We also have parent-facing content. Um, it's called the Puberty Podcast. And um, I co-host with a woman named Vanessa Kroll-Bennett, who is a puberty educator based in New York. I'm based in oh, LA. Wow. How did she spell her name? Because my maiden name is Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. -L. You, you are probably related somewhere along the line. What's her that's first name? Amazing. Vanessa. All right. Wow. I don't hear Kroll very often. Yeah. There's a comedian. I think his name's Jeff Kroll. Uh, it's I Nick forget. Kroll, and that's her oh, brother. Nick, he's funny. Yeah. So that's her brother, and he's oh, guested. Oh, is it? Yeah, he's guested on our show, and he does he a show called Big up. Mouth that's all about puberty. So it runs in the family, and um, clearly runs in the family because you're a Kroll who does sex education. Um, so, uh, But she's, she's wonderful, and she and I talk about um, all these topics through the lens of, are you an adult who is raising a child who is living through period? And it, you might be a coach, a teacher. You, it doesn't have to be someone in your house, but it's just, if this is an issue that's relevant to you, uh, there's content here that's relevant to you. Well, first of all, the bra is great. My daughter loves it. I got the one with like the night kind of scene on it. And oh, she, nice you know, she just, she loves it. And the other thing too is I love on the puberty portal, you have an article, unibrows and mustaches are not just for guys. I mean, I, I spent most of my late teen years and 20s upset because I'm I'm very fuzzy. It's weird because they say it's supposed to get darker over the years. Somehow mine's gotten lighter, but I've always like in the sunshine, if you look at me there, you know, I have that, that fellas fuzz. But in some areas of my face, it'd be a little darker. And I thought I was a freak and I was so upset about it. And now I've seen this whole trend on Instagram, which I love, where women are like, this is my stomach. I have some hair, big flipping deal. This is, you know, women have hair in it. It just, I, I love the shift in the paradigm. I'm, I'm sure it's not across the board, 
but just that awareness, you know, that women have hair and some women have more hair and we've got to stop making it. We've got, we're still women and let's not feel bad about ourselves. So I thought this was great. And I love the picture. This woman has like this bluish green sparkly mask kind of thing on her, like above her lip and on her lower chin. She's got a razor next to her face. I think it's brilliant. So Well, you're so nice. And I will tell you that those titles and those articles are written by teenagers and 20-somethings. So what I love about it is that this voice of Gen Z, this voice is raw and real. And what they are saying is what we need to hear, which is, this is us. And accept us and love us for who we are. And we're going to feel great about ourselves. I think if I had been the author of these, I would be sugarcoating everything. These kids have taught me so much about how to just be raw and real and, and how much that resonates, right? I mean, oh, it's yes. awesome. And the hair, the hair vertical in the puberty portal is for me is, is particularly profound because there's an article about nipple hair. And that is a, it's like a third rail topic for a lot of kids. They think they're the only person who's ever had a hair on their nipple. And to read an article written by a teenager saying, oh, totally normal is really powerful. You know, the other trend I, I think is great on Instagram is people who have acneic skin and who are like, this is me. I'm still beautiful. Um, I have acne. And I especially love the ones where they have like, you know, all the stupid questions that they get. It's like, do you wash your face? You know, you should change your pillowcase. It's like, it's so much more than that. Like, yeah, obviously, if you sleep with your makeup, but there are people who do everything they're supposed to do and they still have acne and there's a genetic component, right? And it's so frustrating. That's right. So acne is a great example of something that we have some control over, although not a whole lot of control over, right? Right. So I think um, having, framing the conversation around here are the things you can do. Great. And here are the things that are beyond your control. And so if this is you and if this is your journey, it sucks. It's a bummer, but it's not you, right? Um, Yeah. I I will say on the topic of acne, I feel, and maybe this is that people share information more, but I don't think so. I feel like the degree of acne that we're seeing among teenagers today is greater than what we saw a generation ago. Um, And I have no science behind this, but I hope someone starts uh, publishing the research on is that true? And if so, why? Is it what we're eating? Is it what we're drinking? Is it what we're putting on our skin? We know there are so many endocrine disruptors, these chemicals that look like estrogen and testosterone in our body. Are they changing the way the skin looks? Because the emotional impact of whether it's hair or acne, it's tremendous. And the self-esteem hit for kids when they feel that the whole world can see their flaws that self-esteem hit is tremendous. And in a world where anxiety and depression are at new highs for kids, it's not that we want to save our kids from everything, but if we were able to pull at least one thing off that plate, maybe the anxiety and the depression would feel a little more manageable for some of the kids. And so at least having conversations about it's normal to have acne makes it feel normal. It just doesn't take away the fact that we still are not an acne loving society. And so I agree with you. I love the social media posts. They are so empowering. They're so interesting. Um, But I do wish I could solve it for kids. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I want to 
mention that uh, I interviewed a woman named Danny Neifert, and she created something called Skin Harmonics, and it has literally changed my daughter's skin. There's still a few things, but like, it's unbelievable. So there are some things out there and, you know, just keep looking. But I, I also think the normalizing is so important. You know, I just noticed on your site, you have an ooh mask. Tell us about this because I'm always looking for a mask that doesn't make me sweaty. Well, so as I told you, Julie and I launched this company um, about a year ago, but it was in development for a long time. Um, I, I like to say it went through its own puberty. It lasted about that long. And, um, right before we were going to launch, COVID hit. And so, you know, you can take the girl out of pediatrics, but you can't take the pediatrics out of the girl. And so I said, we have material. It's super soft. It's breathable. If we can find a filter, let's just make masks. Let's start with that. And we oh, did. That's brilliant. And so what we did is we took material that was in our warehouse and we quickly, we it was our way of actually sending out samples of our bra. My kids called it the face bra. Um, <laughs> they could feel what the elastic felt like. They could feel what the what the um, cotton felt like. But instead of having an inner panel that holds the nipples in, like the bra does, it had an inner filter panel. And it was how we launched our company. It was actually in May of 2020. We were only a mass company. And we did that through the summer of 2020. And it was a great way to introduce our our materials to our customers. We still sell masks, although um, you know we're not in the mask business. So when they're out, they're out. Uh, but they are the most comfortable masks. They are reversible, like the bras, super soft, breathable, filtered. And they actually have a very nice fit. So we know with the Delta variant that the fit of the mask is as important as anything. And I really encourage people, if you haven't found a mask that you love, this one is worth a try. Um, and we have a small size that fits kids down to about age, I would say six or seven. Um, and then uh, an adult size. And um, I wear the adult, but my daughter, who is not much smaller than I am, wears the kid. So um, depending upon how you like your fit, tighter or looser, um, you know, it's it's a two size fits all. Okay, I'm going to have to get one because I don't like the masks I currently have. So I'll use a disposable mask sometimes, but I don't like wasting. And then those make me really hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's great about the U mask is, um, the straps go around the back of the head. So when you can take a mask break, depending upon where you are, you just pull it down and it hangs around your neck. And that is extremely comfortable as opposed to the ear loops where you're kind of holding it or wearing it around your wrist or, you know, what have you. Absolutely. Well, I think that's so great. Talk to us about the puberty podcast that you do with Vanessa Kroll Bennett. That's so cool. Yeah. So the puberty podcast is incredibly fun. Vanessa likes to say, it's where we learn about, laugh about, and even cry about puberty, uh, <laughs> both ours and theirs, right? Right. Uh, we started the podcast because parents and adults who are involved in the raising of these kids wanted to tell their own puberty stories. Everyone has a puberty story. You and I started this conversation with your puberty story. And it feels really good to be able to go back and sort of relive it a little bit and, and empathize. But the thing is that the kids who are living it, they don't want to hear our stories. Occasionally they do, but mostly they want us to listen to theirs. And so the idea of the puberty podcast 
began as an outlet for those stories so that you could leave those stories at the door and then go be present for the kid who needed you in the conversation. Uh, what it has evolved into is a really nice treasure trove of all sorts of puberty information. So we do a lot of storytelling. We interview a lot of really wonderful guests about their puberty journeys, but we also have a lot of science and we go through um, sort of what is really happening in any given aspect of puberty. And um, we have a bunch of people who spend their lives researching the biology and physiology of puberty come in and talk about what is happening in the body. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm looking at this now. I want to listen to this one for sure and many more. Nick Kroll on being late to the puberty party. You got to connect me with Nick and Vanessa. I want to see if there's some family thing going on there. Done I mean, really, done. it's so interesting. I've never met other Krolls before. Well, uh, my, my sister-in-law is also a Kroll. So really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So we'll have lots of Kroll connections at the end of this podcast. You are just absolutely fabulous. I've had so much fun today. Is there anything you want to add? I definitely want to have you back. I want to talk about decoding boys and just more. And do you have to tell us where to find everything? And I'm going to get a mask. And when I like something, I share it everywhere. So that'll be super fun. Anything you want to add today? I just want to thank you for what you do and for how you message um, the world. You know, I think it's probably oh, your public you. health background, but um, you know, you are, you're just a very good communicator and also very much on the right side of, of making history in terms of how we are educating people about how to take care of themselves and how to be good to themselves. So um, thank you for having me because I love this conversation. Oh my goodness. Wow. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I would love people to come check out Umla. The website is myumla.com, which is M-Y-O-O-M-L-A.com. Um, and then I have um, a newsletter where I share lots of information, uh, sometimes COVID, sometimes not, about puberty and growing up. And that is through my website, which is worryproofmd.com. So it's worryproof, M like medical, D like doctor.com. And between those two sites, you can find the books and all the content and learn lots about uh, raising kids and, and being a kid. Oh, that's awesome. Cara, thank you so much for coming on Naturally Savvy. I'm excited to have you back. This was super fun. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.